another edition of Chatterbox. We're covering week commencing 1st of February this week. First of all, an apology from me. I'm absolutely made up with cold at the minute, so if I'm coughing and spluttering and sneezing, you'll know why. And also apologies from Chris Daniel, who is away this week. So I'm afraid you're just stuck with me, I'm Sarah Morgan, and with my sidekick, Roger Crow. Hello. On the plus side, we haven't got any ping pong going on in the background at the moment, <laughs> no, so that's a bonus. No. And no aircon blaring out yeah. as well, so excellent. Swings around about. Um, this week we are doing something a little bit different as well because me and Roger are going to talk through our, our desert island choices. So if we were stuck on a desert island somewhere, uh, these are the programmes and films that we would take with us. This probably. is a desert island with uh, electricity. Yeah, uh, Wi-Fi coverage. Uh, and a nice, <laughs> a nice protective screen so the, the, sun, the glare of the sun doesn't affect the screen too much. <laughs> So I'll kick things off then with uh, my TV show choice, which I spent a lot, long time deliberating over actually, because there were a few candidates. Um, the first one I thought of, which I think is probably the greatest TV program ever made, is uh, The Prisoner. Yeah. But then I, I thought, that. if I was stuck on a desert island, would I really want to watch somebody else trying to escape? Yeah, from that's a true. Similar situation that's and true. being completely foiled at every turn. Yeah. Um, so I decided no, and then I nearly went for Doctor Who, which is another passion of mine. But instead, I went for something which I think is is probably more joyful and entertaining, and that's mm. the Avengers. Yeah, good choice. Um, good choice. The, the original show that is not as in the Marvel Cinematic no. Universe. Um, so for those of you who are unaware of it or have never seen it it started in 1961 with Ian Hendry in the lead role of Dr David Keel it was a sort of spin-off from an earlier series called uh, Police Surgeon but then when he left because he thought he was going to become a big movie star um, Patrick Manee who played his sidekick John Steed became sort of more of a central character and he was joined by other people including Honor Blackman as Kathy Gale. There were actually three different sidekicks for Steed yeah. uh, to start off with until they settled on Kathy Gale. Then when Honor Blackman went off to be a, uh, in Goldfinger, uh, Diana Rigg took over as Emma Peel, and I think that's when it really hit its stride. Absolutely, there. yeah. You, you got you got the theme tune that everybody knows now. Um, you got the, the chemistry between the two of them is just fantastic they play off each other really well yeah um, but then when she left uh, Linda Thorson came in as Tara King and I think it kind of it loses its way a little bit yeah. with that series Tara King just spends her whole time sort of swooning over John Steed whereas uh, both Kathy Gale and Emma Peel they were more partners was this sort of the late 60s when Linda Thorson came yeah, in yeah it would have been Yeah, and the show sort of started at the start of the 60s didn't it yeah, so it, it felt did. almost like as the decade was running out it felt like the show had sort of run its course for that phase at, at least I think yeah they kind of went more outlandish and more sort of fantasy based yeah I mean not that it was ever you know gritty realism or anything like well, that well that was the joy of it wasn't it the fact yeah. that it didn't really have an agenda it wasn't like a thinly veiled uh, allegory about politics or anything like that it no, was just this wonderful not. bubble of uh, British eccentricity and people trying it's, to kill each other. It's, it totally is. It, it could not have been made in any other country, I think, at that time. It yeah. was just a crazy Englishness, which is probably why it was such a massive success in America, actually. Yeah. Because it kind of gave them a, a sort of view of England that they thought really existed. Mm. Everybody drives a vintage car and the sun's always shining in these picturesque 
villages and yeah and, and in a way it's got that same quality as the prisoner as well isn't it that yeah. surreal english inverted commas quality whatever that english thing is but it's just pure escapism and uh I'd quite happily watch that. Although I think some of the episodes run a bit too long for the, mater- the amount of material that they had. It was like um, some of them may-, may have been better at half an hour. Um, Certainly some of the, the final series yeah. was Linda Thorson, yeah. But yeah. The, the Diana Rigg ones are really, are really great. Um, my favourite episode is uh, called The House That Jack Built. Yeah. It's got Emma trapped in a property. She thinks she's inheriting a property from a long lost uncle it turns out it's a former employee who wants to uh, gain revenge on her for, for some perceived slight or other is that so, like there's weird things going on in that house I think where yeah. she like enters one door and comes out the front door and it's, it's like a maze and yeah because I think they, they use elements of that for the film um, which I the in 1998 was it yeah something like that Uma Thurman and Ray Fiennes I remember going to see it on the first weekend and there was about three of us in the cinema and I don't think <laughs> I think that was probably sold out as well you know considering uh, yeah. it was such a letdown it really the, the was. dynamics of it was so totally off and uh, you know the idea of 30 uh, something Ray finds uh, fighting 60 or 70 something Sean Connery I mean the dynamic was just totally off and it's a shame because they could have done something quite clever with it, I think, really. Yeah, they could. But yeah, it was a bit of a missed opportunity. But I mean, if, if your only experience of the Avengers is having seen that terrible film, mm. then please give it another go, the yeah. series, because there's, there's a lot to enjoy about the Avengers, I think. I feel like I've still got loads to watch because I've, I've been watching it off and on over the decades and uh, I never really feel like I've sat down and watched all of them uh, in any particular order. It's just like uh, piecemeal. But I'll certainly watch the Diana Rigg ones till the cows come home. Yeah, she's fantastic. Great. Uh, yeah, so what about your TV show then, Raj? Yeah, it's a tricky one because obviously uh, being a bit of a TV addict, there's so much to choose from over the past few uh, decades. But I've got to inevitably go back to my childhood and uh, back in the days when it was three TV channels and this was black and white, not very you know, uh, high def or anything, square, boxy TVs and uh, pure escapism apart from Doctor Who, which was a given was uh, The Six Million Dollar Man, which was uh, probably early 70s, probably about 73, 74. And um, it, uh, if, you, if you have no idea what I'm on about, it's basically centres on this uh, astronaut called uh, Steve Austin, who uh, during a sort of uh, test flight, he uh, crashes and he's put back together. Now in these days of a sort of Terminator and uh, you know cyborgs are two a penny, it, it's kind of hard to remember that you know in the early 70s, not a lot of people knew what cyborgs were. And it was based on this uh, novel called Cyborg by Martin Caden. Um, and uh, Lee Majors at the time, again, wasn't really a household name. It, you know, he was a sort of jobbing actor that uh, wound up becoming uh, an absolute star. I still remember, you know, kids running around in the mid-70s wearing Six Million Dollar Man t-shirts. <laughs> and again, you know, before Star Wars was released, a few years before, um, the Six Million Dollar Man dolls were all the rage. And I, I still. Oh, I'm so jealous because I, I never did, and I, I you know, my dream uh, purchase one day, uh, whether whether I'm at a fair or something, is to uh, like a comic fair or, or a memorabilia fair, is to is to buy a, a decent quality Lee mm. Majors. I don't know wherever I'm tonight. Yeah, it's probably my mum and dad's loft. It was uh, it was just wonderful. Um, the show itself is a little bit hit and miss. I've got to be honest because I ended up. Um, I won a quiz uh, somewhere about 10 years ago and I bought the second series on DVD and occasionally I do dip into it and it's, uh, 
I mean, talking about some shows that run too long, uh, this used to last about 45 to 50 minutes, although when they used to show it on ITV, it would run for about an hour, obviously, with adverts. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a, it was Adventure of the Week, so they'd have um, surfing the wave of uh, the Bigfoot, the whole Bigfoot craze in the 70s. Uh, they'd had, have an episode with... Uh, with a Bigfoot character, which I think was played by Andre the Giant oh, from Princess Bride, the uh, the former wrestler, and there was all sorts of uh, cameo appearances as well, um, not least from uh, William Shatner, who uh, plays uh, plays this former astronaut who goes a bit loopy, um, and that's uh, that's a cracking episode. And I've got to mention the fact that it gave rise to uh, the Bionic Woman as well, which I bought recently on uh, on iTunes, and that's uh, terrific fun. Fantastic performance from Lindsay Wagner, who does pop up occasionally in, um, I think, season two or three of uh, Six Million Dollar Man. But, uh, you know, fantastic entertainment. The fact that Lee Majors is still going strong is, is wonderful. <laughs> we've, we've lost a few uh, few of the co-stars uh, in recent years. But uh, if you've never seen it and you can track it down, then it's uh, it's well worth a look. It's not I, the I easiest think, show to find. No, I think I'd, I'd like to see it again, actually, yeah. because when I was really, really little and I had the doll... Um, I was a bit obsessed with it, yeah. Um, but I don't think I've seen it since then. No, it's it's a little bit slow in places. Uh, obviously, it's uh, it's dated quite badly, and there's a lot of stock footage of uh, you know aircrafts and stuff that uh, they saved a lot of money on. But uh, I think it still stands up quite well. And um, rumor has it that there's a, a film that which has been in the pipeline for I'm about say twenty that's years. Been, yeah. Uh, the latest uh, incarnation is supposed to be with Mark Wahlberg, uh, and I think Peter Berg, one of his regular collaborator directors, uh, and it's going to be called the Sixty Million Dollar Man, I think mm. it is. But is it inflation, or is it six billion? One of the two. Um, Which is funny because I, apparently I used to call it Dollar Man. There you go. Was little, so it was a much cheaper version. Absolutely, um, but I think they were going to do a version about twenty years ago that they were going to do as a comedy, maybe with Jim Carrey. So you know, I'm not holding breath, but hopefully when it finally sees the light of day it works mm-hmm. but yeah that's definitely my uh, choice for a desert island anyway so moving on to film then again I've given this an awful lot of thought because the film that I think is the greatest film ever made is uh, David Lynch's The Elephant Man right okay but is that really what you want to watch if you see mm-hmm. on a desert island no not really no hands up I would never watch that on a desert island I've, <laughs> only, I've only ever seen it once and that was in 1984 when it was on TV and I've never even though it's a beautiful film I've never felt the urge to watch it again and I love Lynch well I th- I've, it is my favourite film of all time mm. but like I say if I'm stuck on an island and that's the only thing to watch I don't think I'm going to go for that no so instead I've gone for The Outlaw Josie Wales right which okay which is uh, Clint Eastwood's 1976 western which he directed and stars in um, for those who have never seen it, he plays a farmer who becomes a confederate outlaw, a confederate soldier, I suppose. But he's out for revenge after the war on the Union soldiers who murdered his family. And he's kind of travelling across America looking for these guys. Um, and along the way, he sort of accidentally forms a new family by picking up various waifs and strays that he meets en route. Um, the best one of them, though the most memorable of them, is is an eccentric Native American played by Chief Gun George. Yeah. In an absolutely fantastic performance, he's so wonderful. If honestly, if you've never seen it, and you can, and even if you can't sit through the whole film because it is a very long film, 
uh, at least find on YouTube or somewhere the bits with Chief Dan George in. Because was he in one two hours because Goose Nest? No. Oh, okay. I I'm know who you're thinking of. Right. No, he was in Little Big Man before. Oh, okay, before. yeah, which is a great film. Uh, the guy that you're thinking of, he is in Outlaw Jones. Oh, okay. But he doesn't have a speaking part. Right, okay. Chief Dan George is a much older man. Hmm. Um, and you just think that he must have been ad living some of these stories. He's just fantastic how he, how he does it. And yeah. I, I've read various things about the making of the film that said that Clint just sort of let him go. Let him go, yeah. Because he knew that it was gold. What he was getting yeah. in the film was gold. And there were times when the crew would look over at Clint and he was crying because uh, he right. was so moved by wow. Chief Dan George's performance. Right. He's, he's so funny in it as well as being not so moving. Yeah. Um, the other um, sort of notable thing about it is that it was Eastwood's first pairing with Sandra Locke, yeah. who would go on to be his co-star throughout the rest of the 70s and early 80s. Yeah. I've not seen this since about 84, when I remember it was on the, front, it was on the cover of the TV Times. Yeah. And uh, here's a little bit of trivia for you. Uh, Hazel, a.k.a. Nicholas Ball, it's one of his favourite films. Is it really? Yeah. Good lad. Well, I'm watching <laughs> Hazel and talking pictures. There you so, go. There you go. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll view it more favourably even than I am doing. So. Yeah, I'll definitely have to give it another look because it's, it is a good one since I've seen it. So I think I was 16 last time. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's fantastic. That sounds pretty good. Um, I'd have to go for Avengers Assemble. Um, no connection to the, uh, the John Steed saga. But... Um, <laughs> I think of all the films that I enjoyed over the past decade, the first of the Avengers films really, you know, is is the business. It's uh, it's not just that I've been waiting decades to see an Avengers film, and I had because I used to get the comics in the seventies and eighties, but uh, it's just so well put together. I mean, the casting is absolutely perfect. There are so many glorious scenes in it. Um, you know, from uh, Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man to Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow and Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye, it's just Perfect. There's so many wonderful uh, bits of scripts in there with Joss Whedon uh, writing and directing. And it's sort of interesting because uh, recently I binge watched The Office over Christmas, uh, all 201 episodes. And at one point it looked like John, John Kaczynski, these days better known as uh, Jack Ryan on the Amazon show, was going to play Captain America. So uh, at one point, uh, Joss Sweden ended up directing a couple of episodes, I think, to dip his toe in the water before he made Avengers to see how he'd work with uh, John Krasinski and uh, obviously Chris Evans got it in the end. But, so does uh, that mean he didn't work well with John Krasinski? Well I think it was probably just down to the wire, maybe it, it just wasn't quite right for the role and Chris Evans had the upper hand. I think it's probably not a bad choice in the end. But, I um, can't imagine anybody else doing it now. No I can't, because when it started I was a bit, hum, a bit hit and miss with Chris Evans, I thought it was okay. Um, but by the end of it, by the time that they made the last one, um, I thought he absolutely nailed it. So. Yeah, good choice. And just the chemistry between them, I mean, it's a hell of a film to juggle so many eclectic elements. I mean, not compared to sort of the last film, where you had, probably had about 50 or 60 characters on screen, but uh, that first one was a real charm to it, and you know, not to mention the fact that the uh, special effects are amazing. And this was the days before, you know, helmets uh, and costumes used to appear out of thin air, <laughs> which is easily my the biggest bugbear I have with superhero films these days, using nanoparticles to create scenes. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and I hate the fact that, you know, the uh, the, the payoff in the in the finale, uh, when Tony Stark was falling back to Earth, was given away in the trailer, which was mm. really annoying. But apart from that, it's just beautifully put together, wonderfully edited. Uh, it's got a great Alan Silvestri score as well. 
And, uh, you know, if you've never seen it before, give it a look. Um, it is I, great. I, I back you up on that one. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you are watching it on, uh, say, terrestrial TV, keep an eye out on uh, BBC One, for example, because they will trim certain bits. Mm. There's a bit about uh, uh, Bruce Banner, um, Mark Ruffalo's character, who uh, they they trimmed that for content, which was a shame, because mm. it's, it's... I can understand why they did it. I don't want to go into detail why they did it, but... Uh, you know, it's a shame that if you can't see the original. And it's also got a nice little cameo from Harry, Harry Dean Stanton in one of his last oh, films as well, which is quite sweet. So yeah, that's definitely my, the film I, I would quite happily watch on a desert island. Excellent. Well, I suppose we better get back down to our regular business, as yeah. it were. So we're looking at a couple of um, programmes that are airing this week uh, that we're looking forward to, actually. Mm. Uh, mine is Inside Number 9 which is on Monday the 3rd on BBC Two at 10pm. If you're in Ireland, in Northern Ireland, it's on Tuesday on BBC Two at 11.45pm. You've got to wait an extra day. <laughs> Poor yeah. you. Yeah. Um, this is the fifth series of Rhys Shearsmith and Steve Pemberton's anthology show. And if it's anywhere near as good as his predecessors, it's going to be fantastic. Yeah. Because, I don't know about you, Rog, how much you've seen of this, but... I think I've watched every episode now, and it is just so inventive. Yeah, it's so clever. Yeah, it's scary in places. It's funny in places. You never really know what you're going to get. Yeah, each half hour. Each half hour is a different story, uh, all tied together by the number nine. Yeah, um, and it's just. It's just sublime. It's great. I can't believe that they've come up with another batch of stories. Oh, yeah. They're so clever, those guys. They and really uh, are. I started watching about season two onwards, I think it was, and um, just became hooked on it from that point onwards. And then went back and watched the original episodes. Yeah, I think they're all the yeah. yeah. And they were wonderful. But I think, you know, I, I keep saying it, but all great series need at least one run to bed in. And um, so, you know, by the time that they were put up to, say, season three, they were really up and running. And that almost silent film about the burglar. Oh, yeah, it's called A Quiet Night in there. Fantastic. So. I mean, it's, that's half an hour of the best TV I've ever seen, without a doubt. Well, Dennis Lawson's in that, isn't he? And he, I love uh, Dennis Lawson anyway. Um, and yeah. it's, it, there, there are so many surprises in that. It mm. just does not go where you think it is. But and there's no. that one about Bernie Winters as well. Is it Bernie Winters' dressing room or something like that? Not Bernie, Bernie Winters, Clifton. Bernie Clifton. Yeah. Um, which, again, was uh, another absolute high point for those guys. So beautifully uh, done. Was that was that one? Uh, was it done in rhyming, rhyming couplets? It was all but Shakespearean oh, in a whole yeah. way and stuff. That was that, clever. That was so clever, and the way that that mm. came together at the end as well. Yeah, yeah. You see, I don't want to say too much about things yeah. because they they are works of art in yeah. in a way. You know, yeah, you, definitely. You've got to see them to believe them. And there was a nice little in joke for uh, if you saw Dracula over oh, Christmas, yeah. wasn't there? Because there'd be number nine on the door. Yeah, there were, I mean, I read things about it afterwards saying, oh, did you spot the reference yeah. to inside number nine? Yeah, yeah it was a it red, was, big, massive number nine you on could, the door. You couldn't miss it. It was so, <laughs> about a foot tall. It was so on the nose. It might have been, uh, might as well have been about Cyrano de Bergerac. <laughs> it was so, so in your face. But yeah, fantastic TV. I really, really enjoyed it. And those guys, so clever. I mean, Rhys totally. Shearsmith and Steve Pemberton, absolute geniuses. But of course, great writing attracts great guest stars. So the, the first episode of The New Room, which is uh, football-based, although I'm not really sure exactly how it's going to pan out. Mm. Um, it's got David Morrissey and Ralph Little in it. Oh, cool. 
and then later in the series, Jenna Coleman and Maxine Peake are oh, among the other stars that are going to crop up. Yeah, I, I, I do imagine that uh, uh, you know some of the biggest stars in UK entertainment are just lining up for a pit party. You've in got that. to think so, anyway, because it really gives them a showcase yeah. um, that they might not get elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's absolutely superb TV. I'd uh, quite happily uh, quite happily watch that, and uh, I'll be I'll be hooked for the next few weeks. Yeah. So don't forget Monday the third, BBC two, ten pm, or if you're in Ireland, Tuesday, eleven forty five pm. In fact, I'd go so far to, as to say that that's probably uh, due for a BAFTA or two in the next uh, <laughs> month, month or so. Oh, but, that link. Uh, that's the great. That's, that's what you call the uh, a tenuous <laughs> link, with a capital T. Um, but before we get to uh, the the TV uh, BAFTAs in a few weeks or months. Uh, we've got the Film Awards uh, on Sunday, uh, the uh, second uh, BBC One at 9pm. So Graham Norton's once again in the uh, presenting chair, if you like, or rather standing at the podium. Is it the Royal Albert Hall in London? So the hot favourites uh, to win are uh, 1917, The Irishman, Joker, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I know we're both fans oh, of. Oh yeah, must um, yeah. And Parasite, they're, they're all up for best film. Uh, DiCaprio, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, of course, Charlize Theron, Joaquin Phoenix, Quentin Tarantino, Saoirse Ronan, and Adam Driver, blah, 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 blah. Uh, they're all sort of in the runners as well, by the looks of it. So, um, fingers crossed. Uh, for my money, I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was the best film. But then again, I've not seen a lot of the others. I've seen The Irishman. I still haven't seen 1917 or The Joker um, or Parasite. So, you know, I've only seen two out, two out of the five. <laughs> I've so. only seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Well, there you go. So, you know, it's uh, it's anyone's guess. But I, I think that was hands down the best film of last year. It's uh, It just grows on me the more I watch it. And I've seen it a couple of times now. And I'll quite happily watch it again. Um, a fantastic piece of work. Uh, I don't know about you, I like Graham Norton. I'd rather see Stephen Fry. Yeah, I miss Stephen Fry, yeah, actually. He just, uh, I mean... Uh, you know these backslapping ceremonies are all very well, but they do tend to grate after a while. So I used to, what I used to do is uh, set the recorder back in the days when I'd record anything off TV and uh, go down the pub for an yeah. hour and come back and come then just fast forward through all the rubbish. And there's going to be plenty of uh, hanging around and uh, and it, waiting. But is it not live? I know it's I know it's happening on the night. I imagine there's a little bit of delay. I think there's a little bit of delay now yeah. because nine o'clock seems quite late to start. Yeah, it's. Um, I imagine that. Uh, well, I think they'll probably start it probably around about seven o'clock, mm-hmm. uh, and they show, they'll have a lot of technical awards, uh, which they will briefly skirt over at the end of the show, um, usually in about a five-minute burst, saying that also for awards that one is this lot, and you just go, hang on a minute, I'd love to see that, you know, <laughs> acceptance speech. I've got a feeling that Andy Circus is up for a gold medal this year. Right. I've got. I th- I've got a feeling he's going to get the BAFTA Fellowship. Which is uh, for me anyway is is fantastic because he's uh, he's you know just apart from being a great actor as you probably will testify if you saw him in uh, Christmas Carol or obviously at Christmas um, you know in terms of pioneering motion capture the stuff he's done on stuff like Lord of the Rings King Kong Tintin and so on Star Wars I mean the guy is second to none it's a little wonder you know some of the best guys in in film business are just lining up to to work with him um, so yeah he uh, he's definitely going to uh, be rather chuffed, I think, with uh, with that gong. So yeah, BBC One, nine pm Sunday, February second. Well, that's it from us for this week. Yeah. So you have been listening to Sarah Morgan and Roger Crow, and sadly not Chris Daniel, not who Chris hopefully Daniel, will be back next week. Fingers crossed. Bye. Bye.